I'll be reading Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Should we pray together? <clears throat> Almighty God, what a story, what a world-changing, inspiring, amazing story from our Saviour, the Lord Jesus. And, and for each of us, I pray this would stir up our hearts. We pray you'd show us what it means and what it means in, in this century, in this city, we pray. Not for our sake, but for your name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, I got to go and visit a church building in the city of London recently. And on the wall of this church building, they showed me a telephone. And it was one of those old Bakelite ones with the spinning thing. What do you call that dial? You call it a dial, right? Yeah, the, you know, old-fashioned phone. And they said, this phone is very significant. Why? And they said, because this phone was used to start the Samaritans. And they told the story of how the, the pastor in that church at the time had realized that in the center of London, you know, supposedly one of the great cities of the world, there were so many people on the brink of despair and anguish, and suicide and needing help and someone to speak to. So he started this, the Samaritans, or what became the Samaritans. They just started manning this phone 24-7 so that people could ring up rather than commit suicide. And from there sprang the charity that you've probably heard of, the Samaritans, which is going strong today and helping lots and lots of people. All came out of that Bible story we just read, that short story that Jesus made up and told to people 2,000 years ago, and yet it's still inspiring things like that in our, in our city in the last century. 
I was at a local school not long ago and the head teacher in, in an honest moment said to me, we've just done lots of work on our vision and our values. That's very in, isn't it? Lots of organizations, they want their vision and their values sorted. And he said, well, we've got our four words that we're focusing on. Uh, I need to remind myself. Honesty, resilience, contribute, and respect. You know, very laudable values. And he said, we've come up with them. To, to be honest, I envy you Christians. It was very honest of him. He said, because I recognize that in Christianity, you've not just got the buzzwords, you've got the stories. If you, if you tell me a story about honesty, oh, it's very inspiring. If you just slap a word on it and ask me to do it, less so and I thought my goodness yes my goodness have we got stories that you've got so many stories and of course t today we're looking at one of the great stories the story of the good Samaritan I find myself stirred up and excited by it just to be able to talk to you for a few moments this morning of course it's so simple isn't it Jesus gets to the point at the end again go and do what go and do likewise or love your neighbor but the way he gets there, the story he tells is magnificent. It seems to me, I didn't plan it this way, but the Lord has brought us to the Good Samaritan on safeguarding sun, Sunday so that those two things could dovetail and we could think about particularly loving the vulnerable and, and the weak and protecting people. So I'm so glad about that as well as we look at this simple tale of love together. It comes in two halves, so we'll look at it in two halves. Okay, uh, First of all, we can't be the Good Samaritan. And second of all, we want to be the Good Samaritan. Okay? And there's a tension there which we'll explore together. We can't be the Good Samaritan, but we want to be the Good Samaritan. Let's start out with the first one. We can't be the Good Samaritan, verses 25 to 29. If you want to follow with me, then it's, we'll start here at verse 25 again, or just listen carefully. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So just pause there. This man is the creme de la creme of Jewish scholarship, right? He knows his Bible, his Old Testament Jewish Bible. He says he's an expert in the law. So he's asking a good question, but it does say he's there to test Jesus. So it doesn't seem like he's here to take up his cross and follow Jesus. He's looking to ask a tricky question. Maybe he can trip Jesus up. But Jesus is kind and he takes people as they come. So he engages this man with conversation. Verse 26 What's written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? Just notice that how Jesus plays this. You know, he says, what does the Bible say? That's his basic starting point. If, if you want to try and outfox Jesus, he'll come back at you most likely with this question. Have you read the Bible? What, is, what does it say? Can you, can you tell me? And this man can, of course, because he has read his Bible. He answered, verse 27, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. That's a good answer. That's why Brian led the confession the way he did, because it's just a good summary of the Old Testament law. 613 laws in the Jewish Old Testament. Really, really hard to remember them all. But it's a good answer. Well, you can actually summarize it with two. Love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor. Do this and you will live, Jesus says. And that's true. That's the Old Testament. That's the religious rule-keeping way to be saved in the covenant of works. That's the way you go to heaven. Keep all the rules. Love God and others perfectly. Then you'll be as good as gold. You'll be as good as Gabriel. You'll be as good as the Good Samaritan if you can do all of that perfectly. The trouble is that I'm not as good as gold and I'm not as good as Gabriel. and I'm not as good as the Good Samaritan. Are you? 
I just, just that, that twofold summary of the law just cuts me down. There's even a hint of it in the way the man responds. You see, verse 29, he wanted to justify himself. It's, it's kind of, Luke is sort of saying, and, and the guy was still trying to do it. He was still trying to prove himself good enough. He's standing in front of the son of man, still trying to justify himself. And it makes me think, gosh, if this expert in the Jewish law standing in front of Jesus couldn't do it, then what hope have I got? So we can't be the good Samaritan, you see. Of course, you might say, you might say, well, hang on a minute. It doesn't actually say we can't be the good Samaritan. This is a conversation and it doesn't go as far as what you've said, Pete. But remember where it's located, right? This story is in Luke chapter 10 in a 24-chapter gospel about Jesus. And the gospel is, is telling the story of Jesus opening up a new covenant and a new way of salvation. So Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem as he narrates this story. He's closing off the old covenant, the old way of being saved, keeping all the rules, and he's opening up a new way, which is to say, I'm going to die for your sins. I'm going to keep all the rules because you can't do it. And I'm going to invite you into my heavenly father's hospitality. It's epitomized, I think, on the night before he died. Do you remember? And we do this at communion. Jesus hands them, Luke chapter 2, verse 20, a cup of wine. And he says, this wine is the new covenant in my blood and that line kind of has all the detail you need in this respect he says here's the here's the new way this is my blood instead of yours this is the new covenant instead of the old covenant so Jesus is saying that you can't be the good Samaritan I bet my life on it maybe there are four questions here you could ask yourself you know in this when Jesus says love God maybe you could reflect is my heart constantly stirred towards God is my soul constantly yearning for him is my strength entirely exerted for God is my mind always devoted to his work well then there's the second statement love your neighbor as yourself so you could ask yourself do I usually worry as much about my neighbor's hardships as I worry about my own I look at those questions and I think no, not, not constantly, not entirely, not usually. So you see, you and I, we're not the good Samaritan. You've got to get that. You've got to get the, 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 the moment Jesus comes out with this fabulous tale, he's responding to this dude who thinks he can justify himself and thinks he can keep all the laws. He can't. That's where the story comes from. So there's our first thing. We can't be the good Samaritan. Second thing, no, and I want to add this in. We want to be the Good Samaritan. See if you agree with me. This just stirs me up so much. I think, I really, really want to live this life. So this is verses 30 to 37. Jesus tells the beautiful story. We're drawn into it. I don't want to be the miserable, stingy priest or the religious guy who walks past on the other side of the road. I want to be the Good Samaritan. And there's this tension here. I'm devastated by the Good Samaritan story, but also inspired by it. That's why in the response to the confession... We say, Lord, have mercy upon me. I haven't kept it, but incline my heart to keep it. I want to keep it. Verse 30, here we go. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. That's a real road Jesus is naming. So we just pause on there. Um, Jerusalem was the capital city. It was on a hill. So he goes, if you go down from Jerusalem to Jericho, that's a 17-mile road that descends up to 3,000 feet of altitude. So down, down, down into the rocky wild country. Remember, there's no police in those days. And there's a load of caves 
on either side of the road either way as you wind through the rocky crags. If you were a thief or a mugger, that's your ideal terrain. You hide in one of those caves, you find a lonely traveller who's walking past, away from um, public view, and you take everything they've got. So Jesus is naming a proper route. It's a bit like in our equivalent, you know, if someone said to me, um, yeah, I'm going to get off the tube at Finsbury Park after dark and I'm going to walk through the park and come to the Harangay Ladder. I'd say, no, 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 don't, don't do that because people get mugged in Finsbury Park after dark. You know, just go around. There are better ways. And so you know, that's kind of the equivalent of what Jesus is saying. They stripped him of his clothes, it said. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. So here is, can you imagine him, this naked, beaten up figure by the side of the road, too injured to move. And maybe he's got a broken leg or broken ribs or a fractured skull. But it's okay because here comes our hero. Here's a priest and he's coming down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's probably finished his temple duty and he's, he's gone off shift and he's, he's a good, godly, religious bloke. And he comes down the road and he, amazing. He just happened to pass by just when someone needed him. Here comes the priest and he's going to help them. He's not going to pass, pass by and not do anything. But it's okay because here's the Levite and the Levite is like the assistant priest is kind of number two in the temple. It's okay because he, oh my goodness, he happens to pass by. What are the chances? Here comes the Levite and he's going to, oh, he's going to, he's not going to help him either. But it's okay. Maybe they were, you know, maybe they were going to do something else that was worthy. You know, have something else. I must get to this appointment because I've got something else I need to do. Maybe that was it. Or maybe because they're priests, they thought, actually, if I, if he is dead and, if I touch him, then I'll make myself ceremonial and I'm clean and then I won't be able to go and do my stuff in the temple. Maybe that was what they were... doesn't really cut it, does it? They, he says they pass by on the other side of the road. And then here's the twist. Here's the thing in the story that would have made everyone gasp and suck in their breath. They might have been expecting a sort of anti-clergy story. You know, like, oh, he, Jesus has named two clerics who came by and didn't do their duty. But hooray for the lay people. You know, they're going to come by and some ordinary congregation member is going to help. He doesn't do that. He actually pushes it further. He says, but a Samaritan came by. <gasps> Jews hated Samaritans, right? You've got, to, you've got to understand this about the Good Samaritan. They absolutely loathed him. It went back centuries from the time when in northern Israel, um, the northern Jews had been sent off into exile and in their place, the Babylonians had brought uh, a load. I think it was the Assyrians, forgive me. They brought in a load of foreigners called Samaritans and they lived there. And from then onwards, we don't like you. You, know, we, you're, you are not the same as us. You're different blood. They also didn't worship God at Jerusalem. They set up their own religious practices. So mm, you don't do things the way as us either, the same way as us. It is not unlike today the tension between a Palestinian and an Israeli. You know, that's similar issues. It's about land. It's about who lives where. It's tense and difficult. And this is a similar issue. You can imagine the hostility as Jesus says, now the hero of my story is going to be a Samaritan. Ah. <gasps> The Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. There are six acts of kindness the Samaritan does here, starting in verse 34. This is amazing. Firstly, he went to him. The others didn't go to him. They didn't cross the road. He went to him. Secondly, he bandaged his wounds, uh, wounds probably tearing strips off his own clothes in order to have something to bandage the other guy with. Thirdly, he poured on oil and wine, probably to soothe and also some, the best antiseptic, antiseptic that he had. 
Fourthly, he put him on his own donkey, which meant that he would have walked for the rest of the journey, even though he expected to arrive you know, in, in, in comfort on his donkey. Fifthly, he brought the man to an inn and took care of him, it seems for a, for a night, made sure he wasn't going to die and he was in fact stable. Sixthly, he paid for possibly as much as two months board, you know, that might be you know, when the, the two coins he hands over, it might cover two months. And then he says, I'm going to offer to foot the bill for anything beyond that. Isn't that amazing? Six things he didn't have to do. It's very inspiring the way Jesus traces it out. You know elsewhere in the gospel, Jesus says, go the extra mile. A short, punchy statement that we often use. I think this is, this is his story where he puts flesh on the bones. He says, let me tell you a bit more about that. What would that look like? I desperately want to be the good Samaritan. Do you feel the same? I'd really like to live this sort of life. I would love to be the saviour of the destitute, the rescuer of the needy, the bridger of racial and social chasms. I just can't be that person. You know, I, I can't be that. I don't do it well enough. But the great news is that there is someone in the story who can help. You see, to come up with a story like the Good Samaritan, to see through the religious failings of the day, to see through the priests and what they weren't doing, to be able to quiz the expert in the law, that takes someone standing in the center of it all. Just, you know, I imagine some, this person just standing in the center of a whirlwind, just seeing it clearly, understanding it, being able to put his finger on the issue and to have come in from outside the system. Jesus is the good Samaritan. You ever thought about that? Jesus actually makes up this story with great insight, but he's already in the story. So he's already on the road to Jerusalem. He's already going to do it. Jesus is the good Samaritan. He's the one, he's like, he's saying, I'm the one who's come from outside the world. I see humanity like the spiritual equivalent of a corpse by the side of the road. I'm going to become unclean and take a risk touching. I am going to touch the hurting. I'm going to heal the sick. I'm going to offer hospitality in my father's house in heaven and I'm going to foot the bill for everybody. I tell you what, it's not just going to be one person. It's going to be millions of people who are broken and bleeding, sinful and messed up. I'm going to be the one who embodies the Good Samaritan, even if nobody loves me back, and nobody is the Good Samaritan back to me. I'm going to do it anyway. The best way to love a neighbor is just to tell them about Jesus. And then there are a million other ways to love them too, leading up to that. So my friends, will you love your neighbor? You can't do it perfectly but you are free to fail. And Jesus says at the end, very simply, go and do likewise. I heard a lovely story this week which rather summed up a lot of this for me. I was, I was at a co-mission staff conference. Um, I was very blessed to be there with a bunch of other staff from evangelical churches in London. And one of the pastors got up and he shared a story. They're doing a church plant in Hounslow near Heathrow and he told this story, which is glorious. He said... Uh, because we live next to Heathrow, we just get lots and lots of migrants. And people arrive at Heathrow and they get off the plane and they find a hotel. Maybe they're seeking asylum or maybe they're just trying to find a job. And he says, excitingly, some of them are ending up at our church. And this, <clears throat> he told the story of this one Kurd Kurdish man who came to their church. And he came up to the pastor and he said, I want to know Christ. And the pastor thought, I think he means Christ. <laughs> And so he asked a bit more, and, and sure enough, the, the Kurdish man wanted to know about Christ. And 
He told the story of how he'd worked his way um, across Europe from Kurdistan, and every stop on his journey across Europe, he was aiming for, it, for the UK, but at every stop, it was the Christians who helped him. It was the Christians who, who helped him on his journey. They said, Let, let's give you what you need. Can, can we help you out? How can we be of assistance to you? And by the time he got to London, he was, he was in the face of this UK pastor saying, I want to know Christ. Who is this guy who all the people are following? Because like, they just keep helping me. And they've got me all the way here. And the pastor, I mean, you live for these moments, right? And the pastor said, you've come to the right place. <laughs> let, let, let me tell you all about Christ, Jesus Christ. How exciting is that? If the, 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 you could be a chain in someone's journey. You could be the Christian who gets to love their neighbor. You, you don't know the results, but there are people who are saying, would you please tell me about Jesus? Because people have been so kind to me, I don't understand why they're doing it. Here's a few ideas of, of practical application as we finish. Jesus is, of course, talking about neighbor. And he seems to mean one who is close to you. So they've got to be like proximate. That, that's, that's the way you can start. I heard a Christian talk this week about their France list, and I found that a helpful way to start. So um, think of the word France, F-R-A-N-C-E. So you could write down F, who are my friends? R, who are my relatives? A, who are my acquaintances? N, who are my neighbors? C, who are my co-workers? And E, who are my enemies? <laughs> and if you write that down, he said he puts two, two names perhaps next to every letter. And that gets him going, you know, who, okay, who are my neighbors? Who are the people God's put in my life, proximate to me, close to me, who I can start loving and pray for? He called it his France list. Maybe you could make a France list before the sun goes down today. The way Jesus tells the story also suggests to me that this can be just pretty spontaneous. You know, the, 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 the priest and the Levite, they were just passing by. They saw the guy. They had the chance to stop, and for whatever reason, they chose not to. I think it doesn't necessarily be something that's essentially planned, but you could just do it because it's the right thing to do. Maybe you could ask God to open your eyes to somebody's need this week, and you could just go from there. Whatever you've got, whatever you can offer in that moment, that could be loving your neighbor. I was struck this week that, you know, I, I could be so busy with my tasks, with my phone, with my diary, with my emails. I kind of, I'm just not listening. I have, I've got no ear space for the cries of those in need. So there is no spontaneity available because of the way I'm locked in. And of course, Jesus says, don't just see the need, act on the need. You know, the priest and the Levite, they saw the need, they saw the guy, they just didn't do anything about it. So you need to act on it. And maybe the Lord will give you time this week to spend loving your neighbor. Maybe he'll give you the money this week to spend caring for somebody who needs it. Maybe he'll give you a heart that's two sizes bigger so that you can interact. Of course, you're free to fail. Sometimes you're already trying to do something and you really, really can't. And the Lord knows that. But sometimes you can. I would love to know what happens to this expert in the law. You know, he, he's, he's tantalizing me. He sort of disappears. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. And then you move on in the story. Oh, I really want to know. Like, did he repent? Did, did, he, did he see that it's not enough just to have a brain full of Bible? You need to love? Maybe. Maybe he became the kind of follower of Jesus who practices this again and again. Not just an expert in the law, but an expert in the law of love. I'd love to be that kind of Christian, even though I'll fail again and again. Imagine what could happen. You know, there are so many people in this city at the moment who have no friend and no helper. So many people who won't phone the Samaritans, but they desperately need help. 
the government, I hear a lot about money at the moment. You know, the government is handing out as much money as, as they can, but nobody's asking the government, could you hand out some love, please? You know, could you, that's the commodity we could do with. Could you, could you do, because that, that's not their job. Wouldn't it be amazing if the church could do that? If the church was a place that loved their neighbor who unexpectedly crossed the road to help somebody. If the church was a place that was so safe that the vulnerable, you know, is, is the best place for a vulnerable person to be because we love our neighbor. We bandage people's wounds and we love them in a myriad ways. Whatever we can think of, we'll have a go at. I think that if we could do that, then there would be a lot of people in the world saying, I want to know Christ, please. Let's pray. Let's take a moment in quiet and just ask the Holy Spirit to, to show you maybe some way you could love your neighbor, or someone on your France list. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, I want to pray again that prayer we prayed earlier. Have mercy upon us and incline our hearts to keep this law. Just pray you'd have mercy on us, Father. We, we, we just don't love as we should. We, we don't love like Jesus. We're not the good Samaritan. We're not as good as gold. And yet we praise you, Lord Jesus. You came to be this one. You came to be the loving one, the kind one, the gentle one the healing one who invites us into your hospitality forever. We're amazed at you. And would you incline our hearts to keep this law, we pray. We just, we just want to live a life of love. We, we want to learn more about this. We want to be able to love our neighbours, especially we sense, Father, the season we're going into, we just sense the opportunity. So pray you'd, you'd show us a thousand ways and more that we could do this for others, weak though we may feel. I pray we'd have lots of stories to tell, Father, in, in the months and years to come of how you've helped us to love our neighbour. For we ask it in the strong name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.